Listener Production. Hello, my name is Jamila Rizvi and welcome to this special series of The Weekend Briefing, where I talk to some of my favourite guests, old and new, about a single fascinating subject. Over the next two months, you'll hear from singers, writers, models, actors and changemakers on topics as diverse as the interview subjects themselves. Today, you will hear from Kemi Nekvapil on power. Kemi is a coach, speaker and author. She teaches people all over Australia and the world how to understand and embrace their power. In this special episode of The Weekend Briefing, Kemi explains how to recognise that you're worthy without having to prove it why presence is more important than false positivity, and how to step into your power. Kemi Nekvapil, welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Thank you so much for inviting me, Jamila. Lovely to be here. Now, you are someone who knows a lot about power. And I wanted to start by asking, how does power show up for you in your everyday life? Oh, well, power and powerlessness can show up yeah. at any time. <laughs> I am the mother of teenagers, so sometimes I feel like I'm very much in the space of powerlessness. And the sense of power for me navigating the world is being able to be in the spaces and places that I want to be in and feeling safe and that I have a voice in those places. And so, you know, power is something that I have been exploring for the last sort of four years or so in my work But I think it's something that we as women and those of us with marginalised identities especially are always thinking about, whether it's conscious or unconscious, our relationship to power and powerlessness. I find it interesting that you emphasise the powerlessness as the contrast to to power to begin with. Um, When you were a kid, were you someone who felt powerful? No, I might have felt powerful a few times when I was singing kind of shaking Stephen songs on the school sets (laughs) and gyrating my hips. Um, But generally as a young black girl navigating predominantly white spaces, power was not a word that I associated with myself in any way whatsoever. It has definitely been a journey for me to step into and own my own power. Did you ever feel like you had to prove yourself to to win power or to gain power what did uh, growing up with without that access to feeling powerful and having to navigate spaces where you were made to feel less than or othered what did you think as a kid when we're, we're sort of simplistic and we think there's something we can just do to fix that did you have a sense of what you felt like you needed to do before you recognized that that powerlessness wasn't about you it was about the structures you were in yeah, about the structures, exactly. No, I I think we all have a sense that we need to have agency in our lives, even as children. You know, we want to be able to choose that I want, you know, the chocolate ice cream, not the vanilla ice cream or yeah. whatever it is. And for me, I think what I took on was I need to be a very good girl. So my focus was not on having power at all. I had no relationship to that word. And even now, in the work that I do, a lot of women don't necessarily have a relationship with that word, which is why I am constantly breaking down what the word power actually means, which is the ability to do something in a particular way. But I would definitely say my focus was not power. My focus was safety. Am I safe Mm. in this space? And the way to know that I am safe is to make sure that I don't have an opinion, that I don't rock the boat, that no one is threatened by me, and that I am very, very good. 
That word good (laughs) uh, sits with me so keenly because it's a word I try so hard not to use in my own parenting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I admittedly, I am parenting a, a, a little boy, but I, at the same time, I'm so worried about this idea of what is good and setting up a, a, a kind of a, a a version of events in his head where good is whatever pleases mum and dad mm-hmm. and everything else therefore is is bad because while I trust his his dad and I to make some good choices about what is good, I worry about him being someone in, in later life who feels like winning other people's approval is the only way to succeed. Yes, and I think it is, you know, obviously gender norms are, thank goodness, being changed and turned upside down and people are owning them in different ways and their own different flavours. But I definitely think for those of us that grew up in a very binary idea of gender, goodness was definitely placed on girls and it still is there for a lot of women in this idea of people pleasing, of I need to be available to everyone around me, I must never say no, I must not rock the boat, Mm. I must be a good daughter, a good wife, a good employee, a good boss, I must be nice. Like even in saying that list I feel exhausted. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, Jamila, exactly. And the thing is is that when we're doing that we're not in ourselves. We're not in our power. We are constantly out of ourselves trying to prove our worth that isn't grounded in a sense of self. Because we have all been in situations where we have said no to people. And as it turns out, the world did not blow up and Mm. ourselves or that person didn't drop down. You know, like we are learning to say yes to ourselves so that we can impact the world in the way that we want to, so we can do the work that we want to. And so, as you say, those of us with children, that we can raise our children in a way where their value isn't on their goodness, their value is on what they have to bring. Hmm. So as a kid, you learned that to occupy spaces safely, you needed to be accommodating, you needed to be nice, you needed to be what other people expected or wanted you to be and for me that's that's the inverse of being powerful mm-hmm. that's that's uh, choosing how to behave not for yourself but for others when did that change um i think it's been a slow process i do believe i had this kind of direct download when i was about 16 years old you know those teenage years where i had this voice that said to me and it didn't feel like an internal voice it did feel like an an external voice although i don't identify as religious at all and this voice said to me if you keep comparing yourself to everyone else you will never be happy and i knew it was true because there was no one around me that looked like me and I was incredibly unhappy. And so I just knew, okay, so I'm going to swim in my own lane. And I think from there, slowly, I started to realise that I would have to live my life as Kemi. And as you have mentioned, there are also systemic structures in place that can very easily take your sense of identity away from you. You know, I now know as a woman in midlife that although I have work that is impactful and work that has deep meaning for me and I feel very privileged to do in the world, I can still walk into particular rooms and spaces and feel like I don't have power. One of the ways that I now, the privilege that I have is that I get to walk out of those rooms You know, I will no longer be good in those rooms. And if I felt like I had to be something other than who I am to remain there, then I would choose to not be there. So that for me is how power looks in action because I, and I know it's a privilege. I know that not everyone 
get to leave spaces where they don't feel safe. And not everyone can speak up in rooms. But the work that I do as an executive and personal coach is to walk alongside women from different industries, different levels of their career, to be able to use their voices in the spaces and places that they can as a means of owning their power. All right, so let's talk about that because that sounds like such a, either a, a kind of power that comes innately or comes through experience. How do you teach people to feel or be powerful? Yeah, and this is the thing, this is the distinction between coaching and teaching. So I can't, I can't teach my clients to be powerful. But what I can do is listen deeply to their experiences when they feel powerless and ask them questions and mirror back to them what they're sharing with me and maybe why they feel powerless. Just yesterday, I was working with a client who works in one of the top four banks and she was in a room where she had to do a presentation and she could feel all eyes on her. She was the only woman in that room. Actually, the other Mm. woman she said was admin staff, but she was the only executive leader in that room. And she could feel the conversation was becoming very male dominated. And although part of her was going, I need to speak, I need to speak, I need to interrupt, I don't agree with what's being said, there was the part of her that actually didn't speak up. Mm. And in our conversation, we just basically role-played and talked through what could have happened in that situation? Like, what are your options? And one of them was, you know, I could have, I could have butted in. I could have said, you know, this. I could have said A. I could have said B. And then I asked, so when you find yourself, not if, when you find yourself in that room again with that particular group of people, what will you choose in the moment? And she made a decision and a commitment to action the next time. Now, the reality is that she is a human in a space. And it may be that when that next moment comes, she doesn't take the action that she had committed to. And yet that will still give me and her feedback for the work that we need to do together moving forward. And so Mm. it's constant creating a safe space for people to understand why they don't speak up in certain places, why they're not going for the job promotion, why they're not having the difficult conversation with a family member or with their neighbour, and then to bring them back into themselves so they can actually show up in the world. Mm. I'm glad you, you mentioned family members then, because I think when we talk about power, we often think about, you know, a very mas- traditionally masculine settings, right? We think about the armed forces and we think about um, political power and we think about organisational power or who's the CEO and who's the, the junior at, at, on, the, on the first wage or in the building, the first rung, for example. But power plays out massively in our, in our personal lives as, as well. How have you seen when you're working with people that, that you coach I'm trying, I'm making sure I didn't use the word teach there, people that you coach. How do you talk to them about the way relationships serve them and how they think about power within a relationship, especially when they feel powerless? Mm. And it's it's interesting because sometimes they don't know necessarily that it's a sense of powerlessness that they're feeling. And it isn't my Mm. job as a coach to say to them, you are feeling powerless. That is not what I do as a coach at all. But what I would ask them is, how do you feel in conversation with your brother or with your sister? Like, what are the feelings Mm. that come up? And I might ask them, have you always felt this way when you communicate with them or has it changed? And they may say, oh, it's since our father passed away. Things have completely shifted. And I cannot tell you how many families fall apart when a parent dies. Mm. 
because of all of these unspoken things that have been lingering, that have been held to keep the family together. And I say that in inverted commas, keep the Mm. family together. And when a primary member of that family passes, a lot of things come to the surface. And so Mm. sometimes you know, the client will decide I do need to have a conversation with my sibling, for an example, the example that we're using right now. And sometimes they will decide, actually, I know why I feel the way that I feel. I understand that he or she is manipulating me, et cetera, et cetera. But also I'm committed that our family stays intact as much as it can. And I feel in my power consciously not having the conversation. And this is the thing I think people will assume that power is maybe out there in the world and it's very loud and it could be very Mm. aggressive and it could be very forceful. Yes, 100% for a particular person, that is what full power feels like for them. But for other people, power is sitting quietly in the corner and observing and then remaining embodied in themselves and saying one word possibly in that room, which could be a yes or it could be a no. So it's not this idea that power is blanket because, as I said, the Oxford dictionary definition is power is the ability or capacity to do something in a particular way. The patriarchal form of power, we all know that is a particular form of power. It is not the only form of power. Who do you think of? Who do you picture in your mind's eye when you're talking about a different kind of power? Oh, so many incredible, I don't, I don't even know how all of these incredible women could have come to mind at once, actually. But so these They all blend people. into a meshed up face yeah, of all these different people. Right. <laughs> it was just kind of like a montage. Um, Jacinda Ardern being able to say, mm. my time is up. I don't have what it takes now to do what is needed for my country. I am going to step back. So that's a form in that kind of political arena. Simone Biles, an Olympian, saying, my mental health is more important than any competition. And the backlash that she got and how she stood strongly in her power in saying no. Ash Barty deciding this has been great and I appreciate everything that this sport has given me and I'm done. That is a form of power, being able to step back. And they're the, you know, especially Simone Biles and Ash Barty as examples, that form of leadership where they are still so young and they know what power looks and feels like for them already is so inspiring. For me who grew up in a generation where... We would not have been, let me say, allowed to Mm. have done that. That would have been the end of a career. So when I hear those three examples, I start to integrate the ideas of of power with the traditional ideas of success as well Mm -hmm. because each of those women in those scenarios are opting out of the traditional version of what success is, right? Mm -hmm. Success Mm -hmm. is the Prime Minister who runs for election multiple times Mm -hmm. and has multiple terms and does all sorts of big things. It's the Grand Slam champion who goes on to win and win and win. It's the gymnast who wins and wins and doesn't stop and, you know, retires when their poor broken body just can't do it anymore Mm -hmm. rather than on their own terms. In resetting our ideas of what power is, are we therefore also forced to reset what our idea of success is? 100%. It's actually what I am starting to explore for my next book. Mm. Exactly that. Because if we're starting to identify that power can be many different things, it can be stepping back when we know that we have nothing more to give or that we don't want to. If we are deciding, and also, you know, obviously there are also men that also are embodying a new form of power that isn't about might and it's not about power over And, you know, that are sharing the power around that understand I have privileges and I have a particular power that I'm happy to share with others. I don't need to hold it tight as if it's a scarce resource. And so definitely power and success are linked. 
And I'm at the beginning of my exploration of that, Jamila, so I don't have much to say about that right now. I think for a lot of people I know in my life, and if I'm honest, probably for myself, sometimes it feels like you're chasing success without really knowing why you're chasing it. And when you get there, there's not a lot of pleasure that comes from it. You just set a new barrier for success or measurement of success and you chase that one instead. And I'd always thought that in chasing that success, perhaps you were chasing power, which just meant that the more you got, you just are always going to want more again. And that says something a bit gross about humanity. How does rethinking what power looks like and what power gives us as individuals, can we rethink what power does for us to make that a more meaningful process? The way that I've worked with the word power and what I've written about it is to look at it through a different lens. So 100% what you're saying, this idea, as I was saying, this idea of as power as a scarce resource that we have to hold really tightly and we have to keep striving for it and we have to get more and we have to get more and we have to get more and then we get more of it and then it doesn't really feed anything or it doesn't give us the feeling that we mm. thought it was going to have. So for me, I broke down the word power into the acronym of power, which is presence, ownership, wisdom, equality and responsibility. And I believe that through that lens and with the work that I do with my clients when I'm speaking to audiences, what that then does is the first word presence in particular is, as you said, if we chase after a success and we achieve it, but we haven't actually been present enough to work out why that's important to us, when we get that form of success or that form of power, it is not going to be fulfilling or the costs along the way were too great, which then makes the reward unfulfilling. And so in a world that is constantly telling us what power should look like and should feel like, and in a world that tells us consistently what success should look like and probably not what it should feel like, we need to take the time to be present as individuals to what does a successful life look like for me and what does it feel like for me when I am in my full power for myself. What role does social media play in shifting and shaping our ideas of what power looks like? That's an interesting question. For me, one of the biggest gifts of social media, which also balances out with the opposite of what a gift is, it's the opposite of a gift. (laughs) Stealing? Yeah, maybe. But the biggest gift that social media gives those of us that identify for marginalised communities is that we get to see more of us with voices. Mm. And the gatekeepers are no longer there. There are obviously issues with algorithms and who gets featured and all of those things behind there. There are still systemic structures that are part of a play of those platforms. There's no denying that. And yet the power of seeing the mirror of yourself, regardless Mm. of, you know, where you come from or any challenges you may be living with or identities, can have people feel powerful because it's a sense of, ah, there's somebody else out there like me. You know, it's the power principle of ownership, of owning our stories. Okay, I'm not the only one. I went through a period, maybe five, six years ago now, where as someone who is on aeroplanes a lot, developed this horrible fear of flying. And when I was at my worst, I would really white knuckle 
the, the, the seats and I would be holding on to the handles and holding on so tight. And I sort of think of that now and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I was just feeding the fear and making it even worse through my body and yes. reminding myself. It was almost like it was a, it was a telling myself that the, the thought in my head was true because that's why we're holding on. Yeah, 100%. And I have been doing a lot of work around the physiology of different feelings that we have. And it was something that I learned from Dr. Brene Brown, who I trained with a few years ago, to look at what is the physiology with different emotions and different Mm. feelings. And it's really important that we know, because if we're in a space and we suddenly feel a particular way, and we've identified that feeling with a sense of powerlessness, we can then shift that very quickly. It's like, oh, oh, it's that feeling. Why am I feeling that way? And that gives us a step back into our power. Whereas if we didn't know what the physiology of that feeling was, we might think it was something else. And we might just think, I just need a few more drinks to feel a little bit calmer, you know, in this space. But it gives us more information about ourselves. One of the things in writing the book Power that I wanted to be very clear, it is not a 21 days to feeling powerful in all spaces all the time for the rest of your life, because I don't think that's anyone's experience of it. And in fact, those that have that very patriarchal form of power know what it's like to lose the title of power and can fall into deep identity crises and depression. You know, it doesn't matter what form of power it is that we're holding Mm. on to or that we're striving for Mm. or that we want to embody. At some point, it will go again and then it will come and then it will go. And it is a dance between being in and out of power. And to be honest, for me, having that awareness is power itself. Kemi, I've already overrun our time together. So I'm going to finish with, with one final question. You said early on that when you're coaching, you can't teach someone to have power. That's not something you can teach them, but you can support them to step into their power, to reveal and understand that power better in in themselves. What can the rest of us do in terms of playing perhaps a less professional version of that role for others? How do we support the people in our lives to feel powerful? How do we share power with others? Well, there's two ways of doing it. And I think there's one way that is the most powerful and that's to model it. That is to model it, you know, as parents, as you mentioned earlier with your son, um, to model what power looks like, what it isn't, power that is abundant, power that is generous, power that we share, power that we, you know, share amongst us as a collective in communities, as opposed to the power that is only about the individual the hard work is always to do the work for oneself. It is not as hard to tell other people how to do it. So that would be my answer, is that when we as individuals find ourselves in spaces and places where we have the opportunity to use our voice to know that there is someone watching us and in us being able to use our voice in those spaces or take that action, that person could go, oh, well, if they can do it, so can I. And that gives them a sense of power that they can step into because someone that they admired or was inspired by did it. Kemi, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being on The Weekend Briefing. Thank you so much for having me, Jamila. That's it for my conversation with Kemi Nekvapil. What an extraordinary individual she is. You can listen to her new podcast, Power Talks, on Audible. And you can also find a book, which is of the same name. So go find Kemi in whatever form you would like to. 
Folks, that's it for this episode of The Weekend Briefing. Thanks so much for being with us. If you'd like more weekend briefing or weekday briefing in your ears, the best thing to do is to go and download the listener app and you can follow us there or you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. That's it from me, but next Monday morning, The Briefing is back when Tom, Tilly and the team will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones. Listener.